listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Happy Easter to each of you. If you have a Bible, let's go to first, or I'm not actually first, let's just go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you have an ESV Bible, it'll be on page uh, 906. If you do not have a Bible, no worries. We'll throw the uh, passage up on the screen for you. Isn't it a great day to be alive? Man, Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. It's the opening day of baseball. Which I think, if, if that's not proof that God loves baseball, what is, Steve? Cubs win! Cubs win! That's, can somebody please get this guy out of here? It's okay, man. You've come in the right place to hear the gospel this morning. Preach, man, for the salvation of your soul. Uh, hey, I, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are delighted to have you with us, especially if you are a guest. We are so thankful that you chose to be here with us uh, this morning in a cinema. I know if this is your first time, you may be uh, thinking this is a little strange. Why is everybody in a cinema? And uh, I, as you have maybe already found out, we are just a bunch of imperfect people who stand in need of one perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you're imperfect, uh, you're in the right place this morning. And our prayer is that you'll feel welcome, you'll feel loved, and that you will leave with joy in your soul as you hear this gospel message proclaimed uh, this morning. If you do want more information about our church, you can visit our website, fellowshipparagold.com, or you can uh, go and grab one of these uh, welcome cards here. You can fill out some information about yourself, and then you can turn that into me, and, and I will connect with you on your terms. Okay? So again, good to see each of you. John chapter 20 is where we are this morning. We're going to read actually in verse 1 all the way down to verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. I just want you to stop and think about for a second. John is writing this story, and he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that crazy? He just gives himself this title. Like, everybody else has a normal name, and he's like, but I was actually the disciple Jesus really loved a lot. Um, and so it says that, that Mary came, and, and she tells him what's going on. And she says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. Listen to this. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Just in case anybody wants to know in history who was more athletic, me or Peter, I think this settles it. I actually beat him in a race to the tomb. Verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head not lying with the linen cloth but folded up in a place by itself then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes verse 11 but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white standing where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I'm going to ask that you pray one more time with me. You pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person that is here today. I thank you that it is not by accident that we are here this morning in 2015 to hear this message that has absolutely changed the world and has changed our lives I pray for anyone who is here this morning who maybe has not met the resurrected Jesus, that this is the morning that that happens. Take this passage, which is not only true news, but good news, and use it through the power of your Spirit to transform our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here like to fly? Like plane, jet, helicopter? Okay, wow, the majority of you. I actually hate flying. I really do. I hate it with a righteous hatred. Uh, I hate everything about flying. I, I hate going to the airport and checking in. I hate basically being stripped down and going through metal detectors only to discover that once again I've packed stuff that I should not have packed for the trip. Like this past weekend, a, a big tube of toothpaste, which I obviously need for fresh breath that I have to leave behind because apparently I don't know why. I don't know why, actually, but I had to leave it behind, and I, I hate the fact that I have to try to find terminals, and, and it's hard to find them, uh, and I really... And I mean, really, I really hate being crammed into a plane with a bunch of germy people with nowhere to go for hours on end. Uh, I, flying really reveals sin in my heart like nothing else. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of faith for me to stand up and preach in front of people. It doesn't make me uncomfortable to do that. It doesn't make me uncomfortable to maybe go and even knock on someone's door and share the gospel. But it makes me really uncomfortable to fly in a plane. Um, but because I love Jesus... Uh, there are times that I'm willing to pick up my cross and follow him onto a plane and go fly somewhere where he's called me to go for the purpose of his work. And last weekend is an example of this where my wife and I uh, were flown out to Michigan. Uh, there were some church planters there who's planting a, a church in Grand Rapids, and they've asked uh, me to go down there and to teach them and talk about what we learned from our church plant here. And so uh, we flew into Grand Rapids, and, and on Saturday we began to go around and look at all the sites in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and, and here's what I noticed. Something really, I guess, kind of stuck out to me that I'd not really thought about before. Um, and it's this reality that the more familiar something becomes, the more likely we are to take that thing for granted. Uh, does that make sense? Like, for example, Megan and I are, are, are riding around with these people, the local church planters there in Grand Rapids, and we're looking at all these different sites. And the things that, that we're getting excited about and wanting to stop and take pictures of, the locals are like, why do you think that's cool? That's not cool. That's not that big of a deal. Like they're just walking by like we're weird that we want to take pictures of all this stuff. And the same is true whenever we, we were um, flown out to San Diego earlier this year. Um, there was uh, one day where we're in San Diego on Coronado Beach, which is a beautiful, beautiful beach. And if you've been there, you're shaking your head like, yes, it is. And we're sitting there on Coronado Beach eating sushi 
overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And it is a perfect day. I mean, the, the, the Pacific Ocean is crashing the sand. There's a gentle breeze. It's 75-degree weather. It's crystal clear skies. The flowers are in bloom. I mean, me and my wife are just geeking out. Like, we're smiling ear to ear. I mean, you know, we're from the Delta. We've got Reynolds Park, right? I mean, that's like as, as pretty as it gets. And we're just like loving this. We're enjoying this beautiful moment. But the locals were walking around as if, again, like this isn't really that big of a deal. And to be honest, it's almost like it had become so common to them they were beginning to take it for granted. And you see, the reason I share that with you is because here's my fear this morning, is that because the Easter message is so familiar to many of us living in the Bible Belt, there might be some of us in here who's taking it for granted this morning. I, I mean, I have a real concern for some of us who have heard this message over and over again, and though it is a message that, if it is true, should absolutely change everything in our lives, the problem is because some of you have heard it so many times, it's beginning to almost seem like, eh, it's not really that big of a deal anymore. Like, sure, it'll change my Sunday morning. Sure, it'll change my Easter. I'll get my pastels. I'll go maybe hunt some Easter eggs with the kids. But beyond that, I don't really know how it's going to impact the rest of my life. For some of you this morning, maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard the resurrection story. But for most of you, you didn't get up today and think, I wonder what the preacher's going to preach on. <laughs> right? In fact, like as I'm reading this story, you're not thinking like, hey, I wonder how this is going to end. And because of that, man, isn't the temptation for all of us just to kind of go through the motions this morning and to check off another Easter Sunday service and to continue to take Christ for granted? If this is you, man, my prayer is that this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your eyes will be opened, that your mind will be opened to, to the beauty and the majesty of this event, this true historical event, in a fresh way that will actually flood your soul with the life that you are longing for and are created to experience. And you see, this isn't just my desire. This is John's desire as well. If you look in verse 31 in your Bible, John says the whole reason that he wrote this book is for this purpose. Look in verse 31. He says, these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what's the word? Life. That you may have life in Him. Notice in here, John's gospel, like the rest of the Bible, is not primarily about new laws to follow. But instead, it is about a new life to be found. You need to hear that today. Some of you have grown up thinking that Christianity, that the main message is God saying, shame on you for being such a bad person. Try harder. Be better. Because that is not the message of Christianity. The whole purpose of this Bible is that God, the author of life, is in the business of taking dead people and making them alive. That's the point of this. In Ephesians 2, 4, Paul says, God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together in Christ. Here's the truth. You and I were born dead in our sins. And the only people who doesn't believe that are the people that don't have kids. If you have kids, you know kids naturally... Just do selfish things. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't have to, to teach a kid how to do wrong things. We are born dead in our sins. We don't naturally want to do what God has called us to do. And because of that, 
Ephesians 2 says that we are objects of the wrath of God, deserving of hell. But here's the good news of the gospel. Rather than God giving us what we deserve, God in his great mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect life that we would never be able to live. And then he went and he died a death on a cross. We deserve to die for that sin. And now when you trust in his life and you trust in his death, rather than receiving the wrath of God, you can be wrapped in his righteousness and now stand before the creator of the universe, holy, blameless, and accepted. And what we celebrate on Easter is that Jesus didn't just die for us. Yes, he went to a grave, but three days later he rose from the dead so that now we can receive a life that cannot even be contained by the grave. And isn't that great news to all of us this morning? Because one of the things we have in common is what? We want life. We all want life. That's why we go on vacations. That's why we work so hard and we even go work overtime so that we can get a bigger house or a nicer car or more toys or video games or whatever you're into. That's why we check Facebook so often and worry about how many likes we get. That's why we watch action movies and horror movies, I guess. I don't actually know why people watch horror movies, but I think we just like the feeling of being alive. We want life. We're feverishly searching for it. And what John says is the reason I have written this book is so that you can believe Jesus really is who he says he is. He's done everything that he says he's done and so that you can experience the life in him that you will never be able to find in the things of the world. A couple weeks ago, I took my wife out on a date and uh, the walkers, Scott and Angie, were gracious enough to, to watch our children for us. And while we were on a date, um, they sent a, a picture to us of our children with these little bunny rabbits, like real live bunny rabbits. And, and they had these rabbits because they, they take pictures for a living, not the rabbits, but the walkers. And uh, they, um, they had taken them to some schools and they were doing some Easter shots. And anyways, as I was looking at the pictures, I thought, oh, this is really cute. But then my mind began to wonder and I began to think, why is a bunny the Easter mascot? Have we ever thought about this? Like, and not only is it a bunny, it's a bunny that lays eggs. Like, I, I, a bunny that lays eggs is not a bunny, that's a mutant, right? Like, I don't know why we didn't think of, like, maybe a chicken for the Easter mascot. That seems to make more sense. I mean, it's like on Christmas, you go and you let your kids sit on Santa's lap, and then at Easter, you go and set them on a chicken. And then after they sit on the chicken's lap, it can get up and then hand them an egg with some candy. Right? Like, that seems to make more sense. <laughs> and that might be it. And so nonetheless, we, we have this bunny. And here's the thing about the Easter bunny. The Easter bunny's cute. The Easter bunny is sentimental. But the Easter bunny is totally unbelievable. And John says, you see, the reason I have written this to you is because there are some of you in here, by how you live, treat Jesus just like you do the Easter bunny. A cute sentimental, but beyond that, right, he has no impact on your life. And what John says, I have written this to you so you know these events really happen, that this is not just some fairy tale. I did not write this to you just so you can have some warm and fuzzy feeling. And one of the reasons that we can tell that John really, when he wrote this, was not trying to convince us of some folklore or urban legend is by the way he recorded the details of this event. 
You see, we lose a lot of stuff in our culture. We don't understand. But one of the things that John does in here is he includes a woman as the very first eyewitness, the very first person to see Jesus when he resurrected. And you say, well, why is that important at all? Well, because in the first century, women were second class at best. In fact, if you would have used the testimony of a woman in court, you know, they would have thrown out the testimony of the woman because they would have said, ah, it doesn't really matter. She doesn't carry enough weight. And yet, who is the very first eyewitness that John records as seeing Jesus? It's a woman. And not only is it a woman, this is a woman with the past. Now, this is a woman with some baggage. Uh, this is, in verse 11, he says, Mary. Not the mother of Jesus, Mary, Mary Magdalene. And I don't know what you know about Mary Magdalene, but the Bible tells us that before she met Jesus, she had seven demons. To say the least, she was the town crazy. Some of you guys are like, I've met ladies like that before. No, you haven't. This lady was demonic, she was psychotic, and she was an absolute freak in the eyes of the people. She scared the town. They tried to distance her. But one day, the Bible says she ran into Jesus. And Jesus did not run from her, but instead, he would free her. In Acts 13, 38, Paul says, Let it be known to you that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Anybody come in here today need to be freed from something? Addiction? Bitterness? Anxiety? This feeling of I'm always hitting the ceiling like I try so hard to get more satisfaction and more joy, but I never can quite get satisfied. I mean, is there anything in here that you feel in bondage to? Listen to these words. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes, everyone is freed from everything. Mary was demonized. She was possessed and oppressed, and she met Jesus, and he broke every chain off of her that was keeping her from experiencing the life that she has been longing for. And then despite her past, despite what reputation she might still have, while everyone else is looking down on her, while everyone else maybe still thinks she's crazy, Jesus says, you're the exact one that I'm going to present myself to first. That's not the way way I'm doing it. If I'm writing the story, that's not the way I'm doing it. Like, I'm going to show up to one of the guards, probably, that said, uh, if you think you're God, save yourself. I'm probably going to show up to his bed at night and be like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm back. You know? What do you say now? But Jesus shows up to this crazy woman with a crazy past. And I was thinking this past week, I used to work for Arkansas Counseling, and, and one of the patients I used to have was a paranoid schizophrenic and saw a lot of things, heard a lot of things, did a lot of really crazy stuff. And I remember one day he went inpatient, and after he kind of stabilized, they called me and said, hey, it's time to come pick him up. And so I went in my car and picked him up at night and drove back from Little Rock, just me and him in the car. And I'll be honest, I was uncomfortable. And he would begin to tell me about things that he would see and things that he would do. And I mean, it's like I couldn't trust anything out of his mouth. And I begin to think about him, and then I think about Mary. And I'm like, can you imagine her going to people and saying, I've seen Jesus. Be like, I bet you have, Mary. You've seen lots of dead people, haven't you, sweetheart? <laughs> but we're reminded once again, Jesus doesn't do things the way we do it. The very people that we look down on and point our fingers at, 
the people that we consider the least of these, Jesus said, those are the people I'm going to build my kingdom with. So he goes to this woman, and then look how the encounter goes. Verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Okay, so Peter and John, they've left at this point. They've gone back, back, to, you know, back to about their daily business, but Mary can't find the strength to leave. And, and can you blame her? I mean, her life was a wreck before she met Jesus. Right? He was the only one who offered her any sorts of hope, and now hope is dead. And so she's sitting here in despair, and while she's crying, it says these angels come up to her. She's not really that impressed by the angels. They come up to her, and they're like, hey, woman, why are you crying? And she said, well, because not only is Jesus dead, but someone's taking his body, and I don't know where he is. And then look what happens in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Isn't it amazing that in this account, Jesus actually isn't even recognized by the woman at first? Isn't it interesting that John includes this in his account? That, that, that the woman actually, Mary, she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She actually thinks he's a gardener. And I begin to think this week, like, why do you think John included that in here? And I think it's because he really wanted us to know that Jesus physically got out of a grave. Like, he wasn't just like a ghost. It's like, ooh, I'm back. You know, like, like he physically rose from the dead. But Mary is not sure who he is. In fact, she assumes he's just another man. And because she assumes he's another man, what does she do? She turns the other way. She turns her back on Jesus because she doesn't know who he really is. Here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Though in front of a crowd, I know in front of a crowd of individuals, and here's a question I want to ask you. Who do you say Jesus is this morning? Who is he to you? This is the most important question you will ever have to answer. In fact, the Bible says all of your eternity depends on what you say about him. Do you believe that he really is a Lord, that he is a resurrected king, or do you believe he's just another man? If you believe he is just another man, you will turn your back on him. How you handle your finances, how you handle your relationships, how you make your decisions will be completely independent of who Christ is. And the Bible says that we will suffer for an eternity for our own choice to reject Christ. For a moment, Mary thinks that Jesus is just another man. But then Jesus says something in verse 16 that changes everything. As her back's turned on Jesus and she's sitting there in hopelessness, she's crying, she thinks Jesus is just another man. In verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. In John 10, Jesus tells us that my sheep will know my voice and I will call my sheep by their name. Jesus says, Mary. And though she thinks he's just another man up to this point, now this great shepherd, at just the mention of her name, she hears it and within a matter of seconds, she turns to him realizing he is who he says he is. 
He's accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish. And I want you to just imagine the emotions that Mary must have experienced in this moment. I mean, she's starting to wonder, what's the point of life? She's starting to, uh, to wonder, is Jesus really who he says that he is? I mean, she's hopeless. She's confused. She's scared. Her reputation probably still isn't what it, it should be. And yet Jesus says her name. And at the moment that she hears the mention of her name, she turns towards Jesus. And man, her whole world turns. I mean, she thought he was dead. But now she knows he's alive. I mean, this is a woman who was scared and feeling hopeless, but now she knows that no matter what, there is no reason to fear. There is no reason to live in despair anymore. She knows that now because Christ got out of the grave, that death has been swallowed up in victory. She knows that the grave has lost its sting. And guys, what news is better than that today? What news is better? Tell me. There's nothing better than this message. Guys, our life is a vapor. I mean, I was 16 like yesterday, I feel like. I'm 32 now. For those of you older than me, you know, like life does not go slow. Every single one of you in here will die. I will die. We are a blip on the radar. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how cool you are. Death is the great equalizer. None of us will escape its grip. But listen, as a Christian, you do not have to fear that reality. You do not have to fear that reality because for the Christian, in the end, death does not crush our soul but only cultivates it. For the Christian, we find out today in the Easter message that the grave does not have the final say-so. Reality is, for the Christian, when we die, that's when life really begins. And that's brought me so much hope this week, as I've thought about Stephanie Smith, who is a, um, most of you don't know Stephanie, but she's a, she's a young lady that had been visiting our missional community meal, and several of you knew Stephanie, um, and got news last Sunday that she was killed in a car accident. And um, like death always does, it surprises. It's like she wasn't supposed to die. She's 28-year-old. She has three beautiful small children, one the baby. She's not supposed to die. She was filled with joy. She's supposed to have like 40, 50 years left, right, at least. And this past week, as I sit in the living room with her parents, and I've talked with her children, I mean, I mourn for them, and they obviously mourn. I mean, the dad said, she was my best friend. But as we mourn, I was able to share this news and how we don't have to mourn without hope. Because the reality is, Stephanie was a girl that really believed Jesus is who he says he is. Like, Jesus was not just another man to her. And if you were around her, you knew this. I mean, she was filled with joy in her heart. She really loved and trusted in Jesus Christ. And because of that now, she is experiencing the fullness of life that she has always longed for. And my hope this morning is that each of us will experience that life. There are some of you who are playing a game right now making decisions 
about your life that are completely detached from this resurrected king. Some of you this morning, you come in here in despair. Some of you have no joy and you don't know why. Some of you have no peace and you don't know why. Maybe for some of you, you've been in church your entire life and you say you believe this message with your head, but you know in your heart this message is old news. For some of you this morning, if Christ really didn't get up out of the grave, your life would look no different than it does now. Some of us in here have mocked God. We've belittled him, and some of us have done it gladly. And the good news is of the gospel is that if you have breath in your lungs, if you can hear the sound of my voice, there is still hope. Because the death conquering Jesus Christ is calling out to your name today. And if you hear his name as Mary, or if you hear him call your name as Mary heard him call her name. Listen, guys, here's the good news. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to get better and try harder and say, okay, I guess I'll try to read all my Bible first, or I guess I'll try to get all of the answers, and then I'll turn around to Jesus. No, he says, you turn to me as you are. And you will experience the salvation and the satisfaction that you have been longing for. You turn from trusting in the things of the world. Guys, please, the stuff some of you are trusting in will be in a junkyard or a graveyard a hundred years from now. How much hope is there in that? This might be the morning where some of you finally think, you know what, maybe I was built for more than just my bank account. Maybe I was actually created for more than just hoping that my kids get a college scholarship. This is the morning where maybe some of you turn from trusting in the things of the world where you trust in Christ. You turn from trusting in yourself, thinking, hey, it's all about my church attendance or it's all about doing some good stuff in the community. Guys, that is a fairy tale. Your salvation has nothing to do with you being a good wife or a good parent or not cussing, or not drinking, or not smoking, or not watching rated R movies. It has everything to do, your salvation, with the perfect work of Christ on your behalf. His life, his death, and resurrection. And maybe for some of you this morning, you turn from trusting in yourself, and you turn to fully trusting in Christ. This didn't happen for me till I was 20 years old, man. And I grew up in a pastor's home. I mean, I heard the Easter message every single year. I heard the gospel preached a million times, but it wasn't until an October night in 2003 that I finally heard the real resurrected Jesus call my name. And I turned to him, and I went from death to life. And things have not been the same since. What about you this morning? Have you turned your life over to Jesus. The one who has put death to death so that you can experience his resurrection power. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Listen to me carefully. If he is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Some of you, you think that he is your Savior because you've given him your afterlife. He doesn't just want your afterlife, he wants this life. And if you don't give him this life, you don't get him in the afterlife. You don't go to heaven because you don't want hell. You go to heaven because you want Jesus. And you realize your need for Jesus. Maybe you prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school. I don't know. That's not what saves you. 
The question is today, what are you doing right now? Has your heart been turned over to Christ? Are you following him now? Do you love him now? Do you trust in him now? Or is he just another man? One way that you can know if he's just another man is by just looking at the fruits of your life. What did Mary do when she discovered Jesus is alive? In verse 16, she clinged to him, and then in verse 18, she went and told people the good news. It's time for some of us to wake up this morning. Do you cling to Jesus? Is this not just true news, but is this good news to you, such good news that you actually want to go and tell people about the hope that you have within you? If this has not happened for you this morning, I pray that if you have not surrendered to Christ, that today is the day. Listen, guys, no more games. No more pretending. I pray that nobody leaves here today too smart for Jesus. Too wise, too crafty. Too scientific. Too good, too bad. This can be your time today. Right where you are, you can turn to Jesus in your heart and you can trust him. You can say to him right now, I believe you are who you say you are. You've accomplished everything that you said you've accomplished. I believe in your perfect life and your death and your resurrection on my behalf. I believe that my salvation has nothing to do with my work and everything to do with your work. I believe, Jesus, that now, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've come from, no matter what my dad said about me, what my mom said about me, what someone else said about me, I believe that now, because of what you have done, Jesus, I can be fully forgiven and freed to experience a life that cannot even be crushed by death. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes, and as the band comes forward this morning, I'm not going to try to build an emotion. If I can talk you into salvation, you'll talk yourself out of it by lunch. And so, either the Spirit is working in your heart or He's not. But what I just pray right now is that you just stop and you ask yourself. Maybe you don't believe in God. I don't know. Maybe you believe the resurrection is, is a hoax. Which if you do, I really would love to have a conversation with you about that. Like I actually, I really would. I would love that. This is a place where it is totally okay. If you have doubts, to bring your doubts. You do not have to believe the way I believe. But I would love to, to dialogue maybe with some of you over your beliefs. How you came to your conclusions question I just want you to ask yourself right now is, who do I say Jesus is? By how I handle my life, the decisions I make, do I really believe that he is a resurrected king, or do I just treat him as another man? And I pray that this morning, this is the morning, with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you see Jesus as he really is, and that you surrender your life to him, trusting that in him alone is the life that you were created to experience. Father, I thank you for each person that is here this morning. I pray that right now, if there is someone here who maybe the Easter message has become old news to, if there's somebody here who is playing a game, somebody here who thinks that they will escape death, somebody here who thinks that maybe they're too bad to have a relationship with you or they're too good to need Jesus, I pray that you will, through your spirit, do what I cannot do in my own words and that you will open their eyes to see you as you really are, that you will make them alive in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.